Jesus was celebrating the Passover at a meal with his disciples. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and wine from the table and said, this is my body, this is my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. After the meal, Jesus and his disciples went into a nearby garden to pray. The disciples fell asleep, but Jesus continued to pray emotionally, asking God for some way out of what was about to happen, but saying that it was ultimately up to God. Just as he finished, a large crowd with swords and clubs led by Jesus' disciple Judas came and arrested Jesus. Another one of his disciples, Peter, tried to defend Jesus. He took out his sword and cut off the ear of one of the high priest's servants. But Jesus told him to put away his sword and reached out and touched the man's ear and healed him. Jesus was led away, beaten and spit on by those who arrested him. And he was taken to the Roman governor, Pilate. Pilate told the crowd that he could find no real charges to bring against Jesus. But the crowd screamed out, crucify him, demanding that Jesus be executed. So Pilate handed Jesus over to be killed. When Judas saw that Jesus was going to be killed, he was filled with regret and sadness for betraying him. So he went back to the Jewish leaders, gave them their bribe money, and went out into a field and hanged himself. Jesus was crucified, nailed by his hands and feet to a wooden cross. Then, even though it was only noon, the sun stopped shining and darkness came over the whole land. Hanging from the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Someone nearby then gave Jesus a drink by filling a sponge and lifting it up to Jesus on a long stick. After Jesus took a drink, he said, it is finished and died. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook. When the guards and the others around Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified, saying, surely he was the son of God. East Point, this morning as we take a look at the cross, I've asked three different people to come and to share three different devotionals from three different perspectives. And so this morning, You'll hear Brad Crane share about the perspective of the dying or penitent thief. Dominique Bradbury will be sharing the perspective of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And David Alexander will be sharing the perspective of the Roman centurion. And after each one concludes, I'd ask that you just simply give a simple amen as they conclude. And we'll give you a chance to thank them uh, later on after, after everyone is through. Uh, but here is Brad Crane to share with us the perspective of the dying thief. Good morning, East Point. It's about 11.30. I know your minds are already thinking about what you want to eat for lunch, so you're going to be able to help me this morning. I need you to use your imaginations as I bring a message from the perspective of the penitent thief in, who was crucified on the cross with Jesus. I'm going to be speaking in first person today as if he was right here with us. So are you ready? Let's go. 
Good morning, East Point Church. Thank you for having me with you today. My name is Dismas, as some ancient writings call me. In God's word, I'm not identified by name, but have been given the term penitent thief. As you know, I displayed my repentance and received Jesus' forgiveness and salvation right there on the cross. And oh, how I remember that day. I remember that day very vividly. I will never forget it. So I'd like to share with you my experience and perspective of those hours leading up to my death with Jesus at Calvary. Now that morning was a buzz with Jesus talk. And I had heard before about Jesus of Nazareth. I'd even been told from, some, from others things that he taught. And I thought some of it sounded practical to me. It sounded like good teaching. And as a boy, I had been taught about God, his law, and the Messiah that was coming for Israel. But I didn't take it to heart. I didn't really pay attention. And so now, facing death, I kept asking myself, why didn't I follow those teachings? Being detained by the Roman guards, I got to hear all the juicy insider information about what was happening with this trial with Pilate. I knew that Pilate three times declared Jesus' innocence. We heard the story about when his wife awoke the next morning, she asked her husband to not be a part of the Jewish leader's pursuit to see Jesus killed. But in the end, the overwhelming pressure of the mob weakened Pilate, and he gave the orders for his crucifixion. So locked in a cell, hearing all that news that was flowing amongst the guards, I did not understand why Jesus didn't defend himself, or why, if he was truly God, didn't use his power to escape all this persecution. Besides the stress of knowing I was going to die in a few hours, my brain was racked with thoughts of what I thought I knew to be true and what I knew to be false. In no time, it was time to go. We had to bear our crosses and head up the hill to Golgotha. And the trail was lined on both sides with people hurling insults, spitting, and saying whatever they could to humiliate us. And then as Jesus was led to the cross, the mob got even noisier and greater. And I'm very disappointed to tell you this morning that me and my partner joined right in and said some awful things to Jesus. But there was another group there besides the mob. Many were women crying after him. And I marveled at seeing this group and the expression of love they showed him. And more astonishing than all that was Jesus' response to them. He gave them a warning, and then he prophesied to them. Why did he say that? That was very confusing to me. How does he know the future? I was continually questioning what I thought I knew about God, his promises, and who this man was that was causing such a stir with the priest, with the governors, with the guards, with everyone. Once Jesus got in proximity of me and I could truly look him over, I was surprised. This rumored great teacher was not the physical spectacle or had any features that would stand out in the crowd or looks to be envious of. His wounds were so bad, I don't even know how he was still alive. 
And as he was nailed to the cross and raised, his demeanor was so surprising. He wasn't angry. I kind of got the feeling he was okay with it. Like he knew he was destined to be hanging there. Then, what he did next made my mind swirl with questions. He asked God to forgive them. Forgive them for what? The Roman guards were only doing their jobs. And even more than that, why did he address Yahweh as father? Then I thought back to what that crazy old preacher John the Baptist would say. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I can't explain it, but I knew something in my heart was changing. My mind raced back to what I thought I knew about God, what was promised through his Messiah. And it just didn't seem right, what was going on all around me. But what Jesus said while on the cross and what he didn't say, it was changing me from the inside out. His graceful spirit was felt by me and many others that day. His looking down on the mob with compassion was so piercing to my heart. And for the first time in my life, I felt God loved me and only wanted the best for me. My heart softened, and I knew in those moments that God wanted me to accept that this man was the Messiah, the promised Savior, my Savior. But of course, Gestus started spouting his mouth off again. But this time, I was not going to have it. I was not going to be ashamed of defending this man who was innocent and blameless, because he was the Son of God. I rebuked Gestus and defended who I believed him to truly be, the Christ. And I wasn't afraid to die that day, not after my Jesus spoke those words to me. I was going to join him wherever he was going. And I truly didn't understand where that was, but that wasn't of top importance to me. I was being forgiven for a life that deserved my punishment and eternity in hell. But it was revealed to me that God made a way through his son that I could be counted worthy of spending eternity in his presence. So as my lungs gave out, I didn't resist it. I was heading to paradise. I was going to be with Jesus. So as I breathed my last breaths here on earth, I had peace. Because I was not alone. I had my Savior leading me to an eternal communion with him and the Father. So God bless you and thank you, East Point. Good morning, East Point. My name is Dominique Bradbury, and um, today I'm going to be sharing out of John 19, verse 26. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to share, um, to turn there with me. And it reads, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So here in the story, we have Jesus hanging on the cross. And by his side, we have these five people who had encounters with Jesus in significant ways. 
Mary, being the mother of Jesus, had a front row seat to Jesus' journey to the cross. I mean, think about it. She was the mother of Jesus. And being his mom, she was able to probably see him do some, super, some supernatural things. Like, for example, what if he could actually change his milk into apple juice as a toddler? <laughs> or turn like his veggies into like a yummy pizza. There are various things that Mary saw her son do growing up, and I'm sure she can probably tell us so many stories if she was here today. But here we have Mary watching as her son, her savior and her king, pour his life out once again for all of humanity. And then we have John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, who was right there as well. And he's there and his heart is crying out saying, my savior, you are my closest friend and I will be with you until the very end. And we see the faithfulness that both Mary and John have towards Jesus after they've journeyed with him throughout his entire life. And then we see the faithfulness of Jesus toward John and his mother. Jesus being at the highest point of anguish, but yet still finding a way to serve. He says, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. You see, Jesus knows that he is going to soon ascend to heaven, and he gives them solutions in the waiting, in the waiting for his return, in the waiting as they are about to endure persecution for being followers of Jesus. He knows that in this world they would have trouble, and there will be moments where they would feel alone. But yet, he decides to give them one another, not related by blood, but through the Spirit of God. He shows them that even though he's going to be leaving them in the physical, they do not have to be alone. And just as Jesus gave Mary to John and John to Mary, God is still demonstrating this exact servanthood to us, showing us that we have been put into the family of God and that as we wait for the return of Jesus and as we hasten the day of the Lord, we are never alone because one, we have been given the family of God. We read in the text that Jesus tells Mary to look at John and John to look at her. That word look stands out to me because it shows us that we are to behold one another, to come together, to be a family, to bear with one another in love. And the same love that they had for Jesus, he's saying, I want you to give that to each other and let your hearts be encouraged. Hebrews 10, 25 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And one of the ways that the enemy tries to distract us and discourage us is to have us to begin to isolate when we know that we are going through hard times. But here we see that God is saying, I want you to lean into one another as I go to endure the cross. And my encouragement for you today is that you don't have to do this walk alone. The moment you said yes to God, you were placed in a family. Reach out and take advantage of this family that God has given you. We are never alone in Christ because we have been given the help and the gift of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit to comfort us, guide us, and strengthen us as we wait for him to return. 
Lastly, we have been given access to the Father. Therefore, we are not alone. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. This is our inheritance because of what Jesus did on the cross. We can have confidence to come before God. There is no more barrier between God and man. But instead, we can confidently come before God and make our request known to him. We can approach him with boldness and confidence. In Christ, we are never alone. And as we go through this Passover week, may we dwell on the fact that in Christ, we are never alone. Even when we, feel, even when we can't feel his presence, God's presence is more than a feeling. It's a knowing it's a confidence that says, even when I don't feel your presence, I know that you are with me and that I am not alone. So what did he see? For the next few minutes, we're going to talk about a centurion soldier who had a first-hand seat at watching Jesus be put to death. And through everything that he saw, everything that he witnessed, there's one scripture that attributes to him. See, immediately after Jesus died, in Mark 15, 39, there's a scripture that just has no context, no backstory, no uh, context as far as after it happened, but it just says this. It says, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And this context, or this centurion must have been important because out of the four testimonies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, three of them have this one scripture attributed to the centurion. So what did this centurion see? So for the next few minutes, let's put ourselves in the position or in the perspective of this centurion and see and find out what must he have seen that not only caused him to proclaim Jesus as the son of God, but was important enough and so important that a scripture was dedicated to it. So first for a little bit of context, let's kind of back up even before that day when Jesus was put on a cross. There's a story in Matthew 8 where it talks about the faith of a centurion. Now, while I don't believe this is the same centurion, the story talks about a centurion who came to Jesus and says, Jesus, my servant is at home. He's crippled, he's paralyzed, and he's very sick. And I know you don't even have to come to my house. I know that at your word that this centurion will be healed if you just give the word and say he's healed. And by that faith, Jesus healed the man. Now, like many of us, we all go to work, and we all know that the workplace is a very talking and vocal place, right? So you, must think, you have to think that at the workplace, the word got around about what Jesus did for this centurion servant. 
And I believe that there a seed was planted. So now let's fast forward to the day that Jesus actually died. And let's go through all of the things that the centurion soldier must, must have seen. And first, let's quickly talk about what a centurion soldier is. So a centurion soldier is a commanding officer of the law. He's called a centurion because he's in charge of exactly 100 soldiers. And as a centurion soldier and as a leader, he is charged with upholding the Roman law and the Roman rule to the highest degree. But now on that day when Jesus is to be put to death, he sees Jesus be declared an enemy of the state and a false prophet. He sees when the high priest asks Jesus, are you the son of God? Jesus acknowledges that he's the son of God, but at no other point did Jesus acknowledge the crowd that he interact. And then he proceeds to then he uh, proceeds to the actual occurrence of being put on a cross. So the centurion witnesses the Roman soldiers, and he may have even took part, but he witnesses the Roman soldiers tearing Jesus' clothes. He witnesses them blindfolding him. He sees them beat him with their fists. He even sees him get put before Pilate, and Pilate sees the innocence in this man, and he says, what crimes has this man committed? But the more Pilate asks, the more the crowd says, put him to death, even to the point where they say, let this other murderer go free, but we're going to put this man to death. And then he watches as the soldiers mock Jesus, as they put mock gowns on him, as they put a, thorn, a crown of thorns on his head. And then he's nailed to the cross. And then his Roman centurion had to see something amazing because he sees as Jesus gets put on a cross, he's not pleading for his life. He's not trying to defend what he's doing. Matter of fact, he says, Father, forgive them for they not know what they do. So what did the centurion see through all of this? I believe he didn't see man, a man. He saw the son of God. And one of the things that I truly, truly believe is when he saw Jesus say, it is finished, he realized something. He realized that they didn't kill Jesus. This whole exercise, or the whole purpose of this exercise was to kill Jesus. But they didn't kill Jesus. He saw a man give his life. And at the giving of his life, he realized that this must really be the Son of God. Because at the moment after Jesus said, is it finished, is when the scripture comes into play, that the centurion saw how he died, and surely said that this man was the Son of God. So there's a scripture in John 10, 18, where Jesus said, no one takes it from me, but I lay down my life on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. So Jesus gave his life. He gave his life as a gift. But it's not enough just to see that Jesus gave his life. And I think this is where the power of the testimony of the centurion comes in. It wasn't enough that he saw Jesus gave his life. See, the scripture in John 3.16 says, For God loved the world so that he gave his only begotten son. But what does it mean to give? The word give is such a powerful word. So let me ask you this question. When is a gift a gift? You have a gift for me. I'm, I'm in the middle of, of talking right now. I, I can't. 
feel with that right now? I don't. I have a gift for you. I don't want your gift. I don't need your gift. It's not for me. Go give it to someone else. Here, I have a gift for you. Listen, I don't want your gift. I don't need it. Go stand over there somewhere. So let me ask you a question. Did I receive a gift? I received an offer. But John 3.16 didn't say that God loved the world so much that he offered his son. It said he, all, he loved the world so much that he gave his son. But to give requires a two-way transaction. It requires to receive something. So that centurion, he didn't just see Jesus die. He received a gift. So what does that look like? I have a gift for you. Oh, you have a gift for me? I receive it. Thank you. And it says, especially for you. Hmm. See, the centurion was a great example of first seeing God, but seeing God in a world that is trying to put God away, in a world that is trying its best to hide God. Then, through the experience, you see God show up in your life at a time when you least expect it, <laughs> such as a time when you're literally charged with putting God to, get to, put, putting God to death. You see God show up. And when everything that you're being taught is that God isn't real, you don't need God, he isn't for you, the centurion realized, I am actually seeing God. But not only did he realize it, the important of this story is he received God. Because we have to understand that a gift is not a gift until it's received. And the gift that he received was his all along to receive. God was offering it to him but it was up to him to receive it. And so what we have to realize is, because a gift isn't a gift until it's received, that everyone in this world, at some point, will see Jesus. Every one of us will, and it may not come when we expect it. So, and this gift is for everyone, it's for everyone in the world, and if a centurion soldier who was trained to kill Jesus, can recognize that he was the son of God and received the gift, how can we not? See, we all see Jesus at some point. He's revealed to all of us. But the true question isn't going to be what we did when we, or that whether we saw him. It's going to be, have we or will we receive him? Let's give our presenters another round of applause for sharing with us this morning. You've heard the perspective of the dying thief, the perspective of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the perspective of the Roman centurion. But there is a fourth perspective that you must also consider today. You see, those gospel accounts weren't written just merely to give us a history lesson on how Jesus died but they're to give us an experience where we are drawn in to face Jesus ourselves. The fourth perspective that we need to consider is our perspective. What will we do now that we have encountered and experienced Jesus Christ? So, what will you do? If you've been following Jesus for quite some time, maybe this is a needed refresher for you. 
Maybe Jesus has gotten impersonal, or maybe you've gotten impersonal with Jesus, I should say, and it's time to make that new again. It's time for you to experience renewal. Maybe you have never experienced that grace for the first time, and this is your chance to come face-to-face with Jesus. If you need to choose to follow Jesus, I would encourage you to come talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you more about what that means to come face-to-face with Jesus and to choose to follow him. But let's remember that fourth perspective today. Jesus came not only for the world, but he came for you. He died not only for the sins of many, he died for your sins and for mine. And let us be renewed in that knowledge today. May our faith grow as a result of encountering Christ in our perspective. Let's pray. Father, you gave your Son. You gave your one and only Son so that we could also become your children, your sons and your daughters. And we thank you and we praise you. And Jesus, we know that your love for us was boundless and is boundless, Lord. That you love us completely. That you love us fully. That you accept us as we are and welcome us in to your Father's house so that we can become more like you. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that because of the death of Jesus, you fill us now. When the veil of the temple was torn, Lord, we know that your Spirit now dwells in your believers and those who follow you. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit. And we pray that your power would be made known in our lives every day. Lord, we thank you, we love you, we praise you. And we remember the cross today as we look forward to the resurrection. We remember the sacrifice as we look forward to your return. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, as we wrap up this service today, I want to let you know about a few things that are upcoming here at East Point. First of all, next Sunday is kind of a big Sunday. It is Easter Sunday, uh, and our services will be our normal service times at 9.30 and 11. We are expecting our 11 o'clock service to be very full. Uh, If you are able to make it to one service or the other, we would ask if you could make it to the 9.30. That would help to free up room at the 11. But you come whenever you can, and we'll be welcoming you whenever you come. Uh, On Good Friday, this coming Friday, we will have a service at 6 p.m. that's experiential in nature for all ages and includes a, a meal where we celebrate the Passover together. Uh, Melanie, our children's minister, is putting this together, and we're expecting it to be a great time. You could help us out by signing up online. If you go to eastpointchristian.com slash events, you can go there and just click on that tab and let us know you'll be coming. We'll welcome you either way, but it would help us to know if you are coming so that we can prepare food for everyone. Also, on Sunday, April 24th, we have our Unstoppable Celebration Sunday. This is where we celebrate our recently completed, last week where we completed our stewardship. You will want to be here uh, to celebrate our stewardship campaign with us on April 24th as we announce the totals and celebrate together what God has done. If you haven't yet had a chance to participate in the stewardship campaign, it's not too late. You can also, uh, you can also get some information on the Unstoppable campaign out in the 
foyer. On your way out on the right-hand side, there's all the information there along with the commitment cards. Please let us know if you have any questions. A couple more things for you. On Saturday, April the 30th, we have our annual rummage sale. Do I hear a celebration there for that? This is the chance where you get to clean out your house and also come and fill it back up again. And so on Saturday, April 30th, from 8 to 2, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., uh, we will have the rummage sale. And the proceeds from the rummage sale will benefit youth to attend summer camps and conferences, including Round Lake and Christ and Youth Conferences. Uh, but it's also an excellent outreach to our community. Uh, Dominique, who shared with us this morning, she actually started coming to East Point as a result of the rummage sale. She came and found herself a nice dresser and also found herself a new church home. And so we want to extend our welcome to our community as well, as it's always a great chance to make uh, some friends, uh, to bring some people in. Finally, if you're a guest with us today, thank you for choosing to worship with us. I'd love to get to meet you after this service. But we also want to let you know, if you are newer to the church, that on Sunday, May 1st, immediately following second service, we will have a meal that's called a Taste of East Point. We would love for you to come and to be a part of that if you are newer to our church and would like to hear more about our church family, would like to just ask some questions as well, hear what we believe, some things like that. We welcome you again. That is Sunday, May 1st, immediately following second service. Please go ahead and put that on your calendar. We'd love to have you and welcome you in. That's all I have. I am out of breath, so let me pray for you uh, and then go. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, may you bless your church with a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ. This week as we celebrate your triumphal entry, this week as we celebrate the Last Supper, as we celebrate the cross, and as we look forward to your resurrection on Easter Sunday, give us a fresh encounter with you, Lord, where we experience the story like it's for the very first time. Help us to renew our passion to renew our love for you as we know that your love for us is unfailing and completely unstoppable. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for drawing this church together as a body. May you keep us together even as we go our separate ways this week. In Christ's name, amen.